0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of That Blue Food Dude, a Percy Jackson podcast. It is raining outside where I live. You can't hear it right now, but... It's kind of fitting when you think of our subject matter. On to chapters three and four of The Lightning Thief. For those of you who haven't read chapter three, it starts off right at the end of that conversation on the bus. They get off on the bus stop. Grover is nervous. When he's nervous, his bladder acts up and he asks Percy to wait for him and Percy doesn't. He hails a cab and goes home and who's there to greet him but his stepfather. He likes to play poker and drink and harass both Percy and his mom. Percy goes back into his room, puts his suitcase on the bed, and is starting to think about Mrs. Dodds and the three old ladies and his mom comes home and she gets some candy samples from her job at the candy store, Sweet on America. He's eating the samples while he's talking to her, catching up, but he leaves out the part of Mrs. Dodds and the three old ladies. Then she says she and him are going to Montauk for the weekend, and Percy is all excited because that beach at Montauk is where she met his dad. There they enjoy a nice walk on the beach, eating blue candy. They talk about life, and they talk about school, and he always gets around to the top when they always go to Montauk, which is his father. And he asks his mom, will you have to send me away again to a new school? She says, I don't want to, but that's what they said to do. That's what your father said to do to send you to this camp. And he's like, why would my father have anything to say? He left before I was born and what camp? But she gets sad. And so Percy doesn't push it any further and they go to bed. And that night he has a dream of a horse and an eagle on the beach in the surf and they're fighting and they're trying to kill each other and Percy is running on the beach toward them trying to stop them and all the while there's this voice from deep in the earth goading them and telling them to keep going, to keep at it. And just when the eagle is about to slash the horse, he yells, no, and wakes up from the dream. His mom wakes up. It's dark and lightning everywhere. The sea's churning. All of a sudden they hear this knock on the cabin door and it's Grover soaking wet, panting, frantic. His mom gets all pale. Grover is like cursing in ancient Greek and Percy is still fixated on Grover. The reason he's so fixated on him was that Grover had no pants on. His bottom half is covered in fur and where his feet should be are cloven hooves. And so that is a synopsis of chapter three. Rover unexpectedly loses his pants. And now on to my discussion. So as he's on his way home, Percy tells us readers a little bit about his mom, Sally Jackson. And she's had it pretty tough. And to him, his mom is the best person in the world. And it just proves his theory that the best people have the rottenest luck. When I read that line, the best people have the rottenest luck, that struck a chord in me too because... It does seem sort of true in a way. And I just like how Percy talks about his mom. I love her character. She is like the best mom in the series. It sets up the chapter really well in meeting her. Percy mentions that his dad and his mom were not married. They had a relationship, a secret relationship. Percy Jackson and the Olympians are an interesting series because even though they're kids books, they mention or just include a lot of real things that kids deal with in real life, like single parents, like step parents, like their parents not being married, dyslexia, ADHD, bullying, abandonment, and as you read on later, being gay or lesbian or transgender, being deaf. It kind of helped, like, show me a different view of life in the view of characters who had a different life from mine or perspective or difficulties. And for the books themselves, it really kind of set them apart as kids' books, I think, which just makes them more special and more unique and near and dear to so many kids' hearts because kids who needed that at that time and even now when they read the books to connect with that and to relate and just kind of feel like they're not the only ones. And I know I sort of mentioned this before, but I love how Percy talks about his mom. I, I just love the relationship and I love how he sees her and how she sees him, how he says that she can just make him feel better just by walking into the room. That's how I feel with my mom. Along with having a disability and struggling to belong and to figure out my identity apart from my disability. I struggle with anxiety a lot and get anxious about small or big things. It feels overwhelming a lot of the times and it's hard to get a grip on. She just makes me feel better by just being there. So I relate to that and how Percy feels and also I want to mention how cool is it that Sally works at a candy store even though it's probably not like the best job in the world. It's probably pretty cool to have your mom work at a candy store and you get all the free samples you could want. I just want to bring to your attention that in the beginning of chapter 3, when he is talking about her backstory, he does mention that her parents died in a plane crash when she was five years old. I'll say that again. Her parents died in a plane crash. Spoiler alert for anyone who has not read the books. Percy is the son of Poseidon, god of the sea. Zeus is the lord of the skies, god of thunder and lightning. Poseidon and Zeus don't get along. Percy is not welcome in the sky it's dangerous for him to be up there. Zeus is very territorial and uh doesn't like other demigods anyway. So if Percy were to, let's just say, go on to a plane like he does later in the story, it's very dangerous because Zeus could zap the plane with lightning out of the sky and Percy could die. And so I say all that because... It's very subtle what Percy says about his mom's parents. It could have just been a normal plane crash. It's just a little detail that makes you wonder just a little bit. It's also mentioned in this chapter, or maybe it's the next chapter, that he is remembering all these little weird scary moments that he's had as a kid where he's had to move from school to school to school, different instances. One of the instances that he does mention is when he was a baby in like daycare or kindergarten or whatever. The teacher put him down for a nap in his little crib area. When Sally came to pick Percy up, she screamed and panicked and everything because a snake had slithered into Percy's crib and Percy had strangled it with his little meaty fists and killed it and was playing with it like a little toy. That is a little bit modified from the actual Greek myth story of Hercules, because Hera had sent snakes into Hercules' crib when she found out that Alcmene, who is Zeus's, quote, mistress at the time, she was pregnant And when Hera found out, she got really jealous. And so when Hercules was a baby, she sent the snakes into his crib to kill him. One of many attempts that she tried. But he, Hercules, killed the snakes as a baby. I should also mention, Alcmene was the granddaughter of Perseus, Perseus the son of Zeus. So Hercules is Perseus's brother slash great grandson through Zeus. So that is kind of how that story is connected to both of them and modified to fit Percy. Percy is named after Perseus. In the first chapter, it mentions that Percy has a temper. What I get from the book and what he seems to me, he feels deeply for people, about people, about different things, whether those feelings are positive or negative. They're very strong. For example, he is very protective of his mother. He's very protective of Grover and he gets angry at bullies and tries to stand up for his friends and his family. Nancy's sitting on her butt in the fountain just because she was bullying Grover and him. And, you know, he's in trouble when he didn't even touch her. The strength of his emotions and the sort of unpredictability of Percy is parallel or symbolic of the sea how it's calm one minute and stormy the next and very powerful if it wasn't for Gabe's beer cans being empty and drunk already Percy could have made them explode like he made the fountain grab nancy can you just picture that because he's in his room talking to his mom and all of a sudden gabe comes in demanding bean dip percy gets all frustrated inwardly he's thinking how does my mom put up with this creep like she's way better than that she deserves better and he gets mad at his demands and how he's kind of just like harassing sally and him and gabe makes percy apologize for something to allow them to go on the trip and he gets mad at him, gritting his teeth and saying the apology but i'm surprised that the beer cans don't just explode out in the living room also gabe calls percy brain boy and then later annabeth calls percy seaweed brain as like an insult that slowly becomes a term of endearment but gabe calls him brain boy and annabeth calls him seaweed brain brain boy seaweed brain And I didn't even notice really until going back and rereading this for the podcast. It's just interesting how both were meant to downgrade or demean Percy's intelligence. Like, he's this dumb kid. Granted, yes, he is in some areas at some points. More often than not, because, like, he's the main character and he's experiencing Camp Half-Blood and all these things for the first time. And he can be a little bit dense but by no means is Percy dumb and he proves that over and over and over again in subtle ways throughout the series enough to outthink or outsmart monsters, uh, demigods. So while I'm not saying Percy's like the smartest demigod there is, he's definitely not as dumb as monsters gods think he is. Montauk is near Long Island and their cabin is on the south shore at the very tip of Long Island. I've always wanted to go there. I want to plan a trip and visit all the places and all of the five books all across the United States, just see everything in all the different places in person and read the different events that took place there. And so that's always been like a goal or a bucket list uh to do thing of mine. With COVID, those plans will obviously be put on hold for a while, but eventually I'd love to take a trip like that. And to also eat blue food while I'm on the beach and toss some blue corn tortilla chips to the seagulls myself. And speaking of blue food, this is where Percy talks about blue food and gives an explanation for the blue food and why it's been a part of his life and what it means to him and his mom. I talk more about blue food in depth in one of my previous episodes, A Brief History of Blue Food. And if you want to go and listen to that, go right ahead. So that is the end of my discussion of chapter three. So now on to my discussion of chapter four. For those of you who haven't read it yet, chapter four is Grover, Percy, and Sally driving as fast as they can to Camp Half-Blood. It's raining, it's thundering, there's this loud, growling animal or something that's chasing them. As they're driving, Percy is trying to grasp that his friend Grover is now a goat from the waist down. That makes Grover a little miffed and he goes on this tangent and starts talking about the Greek myths are real. Once Percy knew who he was, then the monsters would really start to go after him and Percy's like, what do you mean who I am? And all of a sudden, lightning strikes the car and throws the car off the road, knocks Grover unconscious. Sally and Percy are okay. His mom is trying to get him to go over past this hill by this big tree and down into the valley where this there's this farmhouse that he needs to go to to be safe but he's like I'm not leaving you help me with Grover so she helps pull an unconscious Grover who's moaning about food the whole time up to the hill all the while Percy is watching this big huge animal person thing lumbering after them and he looks closer he doesn't quite see what it is, but his mom tells him it's the Minotaur of Greek myth, and it's after Percy specifically because of who he is, and she's like, how do you know all this stuff? She's the one that teaches him how to like sidestep the Minotaur to escape his charges. And just as the Minotaur is going to charge again, Percy's able to sidestep like his mom told him, and the Minotaur learns, and so when Percy's mom tries to sidestep him, grabs her by the neck, holds her there, and As she's gasping for air, he's screaming, mom, and she's like, go, and she vanishes into golden light. Percy's in shock, and Grover's there lying on the grass, still unconscious, because he doesn't want anything to happen to Grover. He gets so angry enough that he grabs his red jacket like a bullfighter and dodges and evades the bull, and he runs up to the bull and Jumps on the bull's knee up his shoulder and grabs onto the horn and yanks the horn with all his might and it breaks off. Just when it breaks off, he's thrown into a tree and he hits his head pretty good. He's dazed and stuff. And as the Minotaur is growing more and more angry, it comes at Percy again. Percy rolls to his knee and jams the horn, the sharp end of the horn, up into the ribs of the Minotaur and it roars in pain and anger before crumbling to dust. Percy just collapses. He wants to just cry. But he pulls Grover through the valley to the farmhouse. He sees the lights are on and he collapses onto the porch. And the last thing he sees before sinking into unconsciousness are two faces. One is a middle-aged looking man with a beard who looks somewhat familiar to him and then the other is the face of a pretty young girl around his age with blonde curly hair. He hears her say, he's the one, isn't he? And she gets silenced by the man who says, silence Annabeth, he's still conscious. That is a synopsis of chapter four and so let's move on to my discussion of that chapter. So as they're riding along, it's raining and thundering and lightning out, and they're trying to zoom across the roads to beat the whatever is lumbering behind them and to beat just the storm and any other monsters that are after Percy. As they're heading toward Cape Half-Blood, Percy is trying to just get his mind around everything that's happening. That Grover is now half-donkey, and he says half-donkey, and that really miffs Grover off enough to say, Sater! I'm a satyr! I love Grover's sarcasm here because he's like miffed about being called half donkey and corrects Percy, and when he tells Percy about the myths, and he's like, well, wait, wait, who's after me? What do you mean? He's like sarcastic. And he says, oh, nobody much, just the Lord of the Dead and a few of his most bloodthirstiest minions. What's also funny is that being half satyr, he likes to eat. And so when he gets knocked unconscious, when the car rolls over after getting hit by lightning, when Percy looks over, he sees Grover slumped unconscious in the seat. And he's like, no, even if you are half barn animal, you're my friend and I don't want you to die. And he says, Grover mumbled, food. And he says, and I knew there was hope. One of the things that I found really cool and speaks to just to how good of a mom Sally was to Percy when he's like, how do you know all this stuff about monsters? And she's like, I've been worried about an attack for a long time. So she studied all the Greek monsters and myths to prepare for any danger, attacks, or anything on Percy's life while she's raising him. A lot of the other demigods, as you will learn later, their godly parents are self-centered absentee parents who are too busy to even give a crap about their demigod kids. And that's the godly side. And in real life, some mortal parents are crappy parents. So if the demigods already have crappy godly parents... Some of them also have crappy mortal parents. But Sally, Sally can see through the mist. She knew from the start who Percy's father was. She knew that the myths were real and that the monsters were real and the monsters were after her kid. So she studies all the myths and monsters in order to protect her son. It does a great credit to her as a parent and as a character what's funny too is that in all this when the car gets blasted by lightning and it's after percy and grover and sally get out and percy sees the damaged camaro gabe's damaged camaro in his mind he can hear gabe instantly saying not a scratch brain boy he's just like oops that would be so me too if something like that happened i'd be like thinking of exactly what they said to me of what not to do. Even if like with Percy it wasn't even my fault I'd be like oh crap I'm dead. So Percy and his mom drag a still unconscious Grover up the hill to a big huge pine tree that's the barrier to Camp Half-Blood. His mom says she can't go anywhere because she is mortal and mortals are not allowed to cross the barrier. So in order to try to lead the Minotaur away she obviously tries to to duck in charge, but the Minotaur learned from the first time they did that. He catches her and she shimmers into this golden light and disappears. And Percy, being shocked and angry and not wanting anything to happen to Grover, he gets mad and he attacks the Minotaur. He does all that, having no idea of who he is, who his dad is, what his abilities are, having just seen his mom evaporate into golden light by this monster. And he was just in a frickin' car accident. And this monster is after him. And still he can rip the horn off of it, off of the Minotaur's head with his demigod strength and shove it into the ribs and have him disintegrate into dust. I saw this one thing where it was on social media somewhere as like one of these headcanon things. It mentioned that scene and how Percy could do that because it was raining the whole time and Percy being the son of Poseidon, he gained strength from water. I mean, I don't, doubt it one bit and plus he's got adrenaline too and demigod strength. And Percy does all that while Grover is still unconscious. Poor Grover in the next chapter and later on in the book as you find more about Grover and his backstory and you just feel bad for him when you reread it. When they get to the farmhouse as he's like falling into unconsciousness he notices Mr. Brunner, or Chiron, as we find out in the next chapter his name is, and here we first meet Annabeth. Just get a glimpse of her, and Percy registers that she's pretty, and that she has pretty blonde hair curled like a princess's. He hears her say, he's the one, isn't he? Then he just blacks out after that. So that is the end of my discussion of chapter 4. My mother teaches me bullfighting. And that wraps it up for my episode on chapters 3 and 4 of The Lightning Thief. Thank you so much for joining me and I hope that you will join me for the next episode. In the meantime, my fellow half-bloods, try not to lose your pants. And if any of your moms teach you bullfighting, sign me up.